Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of the Conversation of Our Generation. My name is Nick Jamel and today we are going to be talking about the arts and how to take them back and hopefully this will be a really good uh, discussion for you guys today. I think it'll be something that hopefully strikes home and once you hear how I'm approaching it, I think it'll be uh, something a little bit different than what people have heard in the past as far as where the arts have gone truly wrong and what I think we can do to course correct on that. And so before I get too far into that, I would like to remind you that you can find me uh, on conversationofourgeneration.com. If you're listening on iTunes or anywhere like that, you can go there, find more articles, find more podcasts and other content, book reviews and stuff that I've done there. So go there, check it out and see uh, what all I got going on. And if you're actually listening to this on the website, you know, you came across it somehow, <laughs> you can go and follow me or sorry, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and just search Conversation of Our Generation and I should be the first one that pops up there. And follow me on Twitter at ConOfOurGen and on Facebook.com slash Conversation of Our Generation. You can like the page there and just you'll get reminders when content comes out and other stuff there and be able to discuss these ideas with other people as well as with me. So please go through and follow, subscribe and share this with other people as well so that we can get more people brought into the conversation of our generation. And so like I said, today, uh, I think that we, there's an instinct that art is often trivial or vile. I mean, most things it seems to me to be are, are either a superhero movie or porn. I mean, those are where all, all of our artists go, it seems like. And, you know, so much money is spent on those things. And really, there's very little that comes out of Hollywood that's truly enriching to the human experience. I think that there's some good movies that come out. I think there's some good TV shows that come out. But I feel like, in general, a lot of the TV shows that I'm, I've watched recently that, you know, you watch the series, didn't come out in the last year or two. They came out 10, 15 years ago. You know, I'm going through and watching Dexter right now. And it's a very good show because it asks the complicated question of, you know, whether or not vigilantism is wrong. And that's always a good, good question. And the way that he does it, especially, um, you know, you learn this pretty quick, but he's a serial killer. And so, you know, you kind of have sympathy for him and they make it complex and all of that. I get it. And so it's a good show at that. And, you know, we're a few seasons in, you know, Game of Thrones, for instance, I think is a good one as well. There's still good, um, good art being made that asks complicated questions and puts forth complicated characters and stories and does that in a beautiful way. There is still stuff out there, but it seems that there's so much that is not that way. There's so little that's hard hitting, that's true, beautiful, you know, all those things without making it vile or grotesque, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, leave it to beaver again, you know, it doesn't have to go back to the 50s, you know, and all of how uptight things were, you can't make certain jokes and all that, fine, it doesn't have to go back to that, but to have something there that you can enjoy with, a, you know, your kid or your niece or nephew or little cousin and not feel uncomfortable, you know, there's, there used to be movies that you know, my parents could watch with me that they truly enjoyed that I enjoyed. And I don't think that happens much anymore. Like, I don't think there's very many kids movies that I would sit down and watch that have come out recently because we're just bifurcating the arts into more and more different 
I don't know, like subsections of who we're trying to reach with this instead of really trying to make something that expresses a universal human experience. And so let's hop into the quote of the day or the quote of the week now that I've kind of set the stage of what we're trying to talk about. And this one is from Michelangelo. And so he says, the true work of art is but a shadow of the divine perfection. And I think this is the key that artists have forgotten. And it's really kind of my first point here as well, which is that art has to rely on truth and beauty. And it has to point towards the perfect truth and the perfect beauty that, you know, is in God. And the art that gets expressed is something that I think there's a sense that uh, art is this artist, you know, putting forth their ideas and their impressions on the world. When I think what you find in the ancients, you know, when you talk, look at the Greeks, when you look at, you know, uh, Christian art for the last couple thousand years, you know, even Michelangelo here is saying it, uh, that really the art is something moving through the artist. They're the vehicle. They have the talent and the skill to express something that is beyond them. You know, the idea of the muse is what kind of calls to the, to the Greeks and that brings the art out of them. It's, or inspires them to create their art. You know, Christianity has the idea of the Holy Spirit that basically is not far removed from what they're thinking in terms of art, you know, in terms of the full theology, definitely different. But the idea that there is a spirit that moves you to, that inspires you, that gives you knowledge or gives you an insight that you don't fully understand, but you can start to work out. And as you do that, you tap into the human experience. You tap into something that's true and beautiful. And in doing so, you express something that's really outside of yourself, that expands you as well as other people when they look at it or read it or listen to it, right? And that's what the arts are supposed to do is take something that's that fleeting insight maybe and turn it into a true work of art and find a way in doing so to express something that cuts to the depth of human experience that, you know, there's another quote on when I was looking that said something along the lines of, um, you know, art is supposed to help man understand their relationship to their environment. And I think that's true as well. You know, it's taking the concept, you know, ideas and concepts and bring boiling the universal down into something individual and in doing so you either show people more into themselves or you show them another experience that they can expand and say now I understand someone else better through this and so I think that the importance here is an idea of truth and beauty and I think this is what cuts to the heart of why art is in the time of I think tribulation right now which is that these two things must be in concert with each other. You know, truth and beauty are really two sides of the same coin because what's beautiful 
and what's aesthetically beautiful is, you know, really true. If you look at how uh, so much of beauty works, there is mathematics behind it. There's logic behind it. It's the same designing, or it's the same design designer that created the truth, that created our mathematics and our philosophy and our moral, and our moral intuition and all of those things is the same designer that designed, you know, the flowers and the mountains and the sounds that we can make into music and, you know, the, even as much as like a beautiful person, you know, it's all those things are designed by the same person in, in the same way. And so when we talk about truth or when we talk about the arts and beautiful beauty, right, we have to talk about truth in that as well, that there has to be something there that calls to calls to God, calls to the perfect divine divine truth. And if that's not there, then, you know, you might have something that's interesting to look at. But I don't think you have true art. I don't think you have something that enriches people, that brings them up, that lifts them out of themselves and teaches them something, shows them something new, you know, helps them find a new way of life, a new experience and living a new experience, maybe through someone else, through someone else's expression. And that's really where art has its power. That's where it changes lives and, and can change the world in a lot of ways if it is good enough. And so I don't think that when we look at modern art where, you know, the source of the art is the artist's feelings or their whatever it is, that we can look at that with too much seriousness because if if the source of the art is not something exterior, is not inspired in some way, then, you know, it's no different than anything you or I could have done in reality. I mean, I may not have the ability to draw or paint the way someone might, but, you know, if it's just splattering stuff on a canvas, <laughs> then I guess I could do that. I mean, I can, you know, they have those uh, canvases that people can buy of, like, Tiger Woods hitting paintballs onto it, you know, which is funny. It's obviously that's not intended to be, you know, art art, you know, it's just kind of something that I think he did for a fundraiser and people bought to say they have something from Tiger Woods, you know, and he signs it and everything like that, whatever. But the people who legitimately, I mean, you go to art museums sometimes and you see that I'm like, can I draw a person the same way you see on the cover picture of this, uh, episode. If you're, you know, if you're watching on, uh, if you found this on social media or on my website, you know, like I can't paint like medieval artists or anything like that, but you know, the modern art, I sure as heck could make it to the Chicago, you know, Chicago's museum of art. <laughs> if, if all it is, is just splattering paint on a canvas. And so, you know, same with, music and all these things where instead of really understanding the harmonies and understanding the way uh, all that goes together and the complexity of musical theory, if instead of that, it's, you know, just playing random, you know, four chords. It, I mean, I could make a pop song, you know, anyone can make a pop song, really, if you just learn how to play a few chords and 
got okay at a couple little riffs or something, you can make any pop song, and that's sad. <laughs> that really, it, it takes, you know, 20 people to make a crappy little song like what we have now a lot of times. So, the point is there that when you have a true calling to truth, when you have uh, an inspiration from the divine person, you're being called up and out of yourself. And when you do that, you can create something really beyond your abilities. You're not actually limited by yourself and what you are actually capable of so much as, you know, the natural world and what works within it. <laughs> and there's a lot of possibility there when that's the case. Next thing I wanted to talk a little bit about is um, <clears throat> the current institutions, because I think this is where, you know, like I said a minute ago, it's kind of like the two big institutions are, you know, Hollywood and, you know, that's pretty much it for <laughs> movies and everything like that. And then you have the New York Times, that's the gatekeeper for books. And most of those, you know, aren't that great unless they're an academic discussion. And then you kind of have, I mean, you have the porn industry, which probably is as big as, um, as big as Hollywood at this point. And you have a lot of people in there who are, you know, probably artistically talented people. I mean, as far as like, I mean, videographers and everything like that, you, I'm sure that there's plenty of people there who have talents that go for the quick buck instead of really creating something artful and artistic, you know? I mean, just think about all the people who can pick up a camera and do something pretty cool on YouTube. I I just think that there has to be something more that these people could do with their time and with the, whatever talents they may have. And beyond that as well, I mean, the music industry is another one that is has so many gatekeepers that are actually being torn down. I think that that's the one where, you know, movies can't quite, haven't gotten quite to the point where they can be torn down by, uh, by YouTube, because I think it takes so much to really edit a full movie, you know, full hour and a half, two hour movie takes so much manpower that you really have to have more payoff than YouTube ad revenues. But for music, I mean, SoundCloud and all of these things have really reduced that, uh, that gatekeeper uh, to basically nothing. And I think that's great. You know, I think it lets in a lot of trash, but it also lets in a lot of stuff that's just not the normal uh, pattern that people want to hear. And so I think that that provides at least an opportunity for people to break through and see if there's ways to bring people back to a more complicated or more, you know, um, an art or a music that calls someone again out of themselves and is not just, you know, pop or rap or whatever. And I, I like pop music. I like rap. I mean, I get it. I, I enjoy it for parties and stuff. Sure. But I don't think that it's something that lifts you out of yourself and something that really enriches you and enriches your experience. I mean, at the time that Beethoven was making his music when Bach was making his music, you know, when Mozart was making his music. 
there was still folk music going on. And so people still wanted to dance and have a good time and so on. And that's not going to go away. You can still have that. But to act like, you know, the folk tunes that were on back then were the uh, highest calling of the music, the best music that was really out there at the time is not true either. And I think that what's going on in our institutions that's tough is, first of all, they do have a lot of gatekeepers. And second of all, I think all of the arts put forth this relativism and often, you know, a leftism as well. But I think that the idea of relativism is the thing that's hurting these institutions so much is that they're arts that are trying to not, that are trying to do away with truth. And when you do that, you do away with art itself, as we talked about earlier. And so when you hear music, you know, you hear discord is so widely used and there's, you know, this, it's, it's almost like there's no right way to do it. And you can hear even like classical style music, uh, the, the modern versions are just not not great generally. I mean, there's some good ones for sure. And there's some that, you know, take, for instance, like Gershwin takes blues and jazz and kind of that style and that sound and moves it into a classical, you know, fuke and stuff like that. And it's, it's interesting to hear. That's good and fine. Great. But there's plenty of stuff that's just discordant and it's and when you do that <laughs> and you obviously go against any rules of harmony then you're going away from the truth you're going away from the way these sounds melt together and create something beautiful you're leaving that behind when you just you know go to discord or go to simplicity you're leaving something on the table when you're doing that um you're leaving something to be desired you're not reconciling the music with itself. You're not coming to a conclusion. You're just constantly stating a problem and never resolving it. You know, it's like, it's like, uh, if, <laughs> if you're writing a book or watching a movie and the, you know, just like ends two thirds of the way through before the climax, you're just like, Oh, well, they broke up and, you know, there seemed like there's something else that could have happened there, you know, for this rom-com movie and yada, yada. And, you know, you're waiting for them to get back together and be happily ever after. And it just like cuts off halfway through and you're like, well, that's silly. Like right in the middle of this happy-go-lucky montage or whatever it is that they do. And it's just like done. No, like you'd be, you'd want something more. And that's what music often does. And so, uh, as far as the movies go, I think you can't see the difference oftentimes between the good guy and the bad guy. And that's not to say that you can't have an endearing bad guy, right? I think that that's sometimes good to have because there are horrible people in reality that are kind of endearing. I mean, just look around you at, I mean, just look at Bill Cosby, you know, if you didn't know the guy, you loved him, you know, Michael Jackson, if you didn't know what was going on, people loved him, but there was something horrible and dark within those people. And so you know, OJ, <laughs> and there's plenty of people, um, that did horrible things, but were, you know, loved before that, you know, you couldn't see that. And so there's complicated bad guys. There's complicated good guys. There's good guys who, you know, struggle with stuff and who maybe, you know, if you're a cop and you 
just really want to beat the hell out of everybody. You know, like those, you see those in those hard-nosed, you know, cop shows where they want to toss people around in the interrogation room, but they don't, or something like that. You know, you see that, and, and you can deal with those things, and those are interesting. But to just act like there's no moral order, well, that's not true. You know, when you just can't tell the difference between a good guy and a bad guy, you know, unless you're trying to solve the question of who's good and who's bad, then it's pretty tough, you know, because the uh, reality is we know that there is good and bad, there's good and bad people, and there's a moral order, and even if people try to deny it, they know it intuitively, and so... <clears throat> I think it's something that we have to, you know, deal with in the movies is that there is a sense that, you know, relativism and nihilism have come into play so much that they really don't call towards that divine perfection, and that's a fault of them. And the last is, you know, I, I saw my cousin's book list, and it's all, you know, basically who can have the most intersectional character, and it's just terrible. I mean, there's not a single classic on there. You know, not a single book that his grandparents would have read, and his grandparents' grandparents would have read, and so on. You know, it's, I think, a, a, a disgusting thing to do to people. I think it's a horrible sin <laughs> to strip people of the opportunity to you know, share in what's brought our culture about. And I think that, uh, the person, whoever made the reading list is, uh, well, needs to probably go to the confessional for that. Um, and for what they robbed the children of and, and for what horrible books they're trying to make them read. I mean, that's just like sadism. Um, but the fact of the you know matter is that the things that make it to the New York best, you know, bestsellers are, a book about a gay black kid and because it's about a gay black kid, even though it's a terrible story or, you know, poorly written instead of, you know, a book about something complex, you know, with that has a white person at the middle of it. And so we can't just, uh, disregard anyone's experience based on their race or ethnicity or sexual orientation, right? You can't, and you can have really good, complicated stories with real moral questions posed and resolved and so on with anyone, you know, you could do it about, I mean, look at, uh, Mel Gibson's Apocalypto. I mean, that's a real good, you know, look at what was about colonialism, but you can sit there and, you know, being a European descendant, I can look at that, you know, kind of Incan culture and that, you know, Amazon, Amazon culture and understand that person's experience through it, through that. Now, obviously that's a movie, not a book, but it gets to the point that you don't have to have a story about a white person to make it good. It's not what I'm saying, right? You can have a story about a lot of people. I mean, I remember reading a book called Bud Not Buddy when I was a kid, like in sixth grade, like a young adult's novel. And it was about uh, like a black kid who lived, I think with his, uh, I don't remember exactly off the top of my head if he lived with his grandparents or if he was in foster care, 
but he ended up like going on a search to find his parents and so on. And you, it was a really interesting little story. And it kind of took you through the 19, like thirties or forties jazz world and stuff. And it was a good look at like what history was like, what life was like for people at that time. And you could get a glimpse into that. And that was good. I think it's something that for me was an interesting look into the, uh, a good way to show, teach kids a little bit about segregation and what that human experience would be like for, especially for, you know, kids like me who wouldn't have experienced it and who still don't experience anything like, you know, that, uh, that holds us back due to our skin color or anything like that. Well, I guess now being a white guy does hold you back because you have to be hated, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, it's a very interesting look. And so I think that what's going wrong in the institutions is a, a denial of God that results in the lack of a search or a calling towards divine perfection. You know, like Michelangelo said, it's the true, the true work of art is but a shadow of divine perfection. And when you don't think that there is this you know, this, uh, giant overarching divine perfection that you're sitting under, that you're trying to reach up and touch in your art and that you're just merely sitting in a shadow and doing your best to, you know, to pull out of yourself and to get to that point where you can reach up and touch it. You know, it's, <laughs> you're doing what Adam did on the Sistine Chapel. You're just God's reaching out to you and you're lackadaisically holding your hand out and, you know, and you're not going to get there because of it, right? And I think that that's just, that's just what the arts are doing right now is they're lazy and full of themselves and denying truth, beauty, and God in a lot of ways. And I mean, just think about the last time that you saw, you know, Christian allegories, or not allegories, but Christian symbolism in art, it's very, very rare. And it's not to say that you can't, that you should have it in every movie where you have a Christ figure and yada yada. No, you don't have to. But, you know, like in Braveheart, when <laughs> at the end of the movie he's spread out, you know, you can see. I mean, they have a point where he's got his feet tied up and everything and he's spread out on and he's ready to be, I mean, they're about to kill him and pull him in, you know, the four directions, rip off his arm. Like, I forget exactly what they do to rip, like, tear his limbs off. But, you know, that's, they kind of, he, Mel Gibson was careful to make uh, sure that there's a, uh, there's a moment there. Um, you know, and I feel like the only times that now there's a, you know, some sort of, uh, image that you can relate back to Christianity. It's almost accidental, <laughs> you know, and that's not to say that again, every movie has to have it, but when you're neglecting where all the arts that we have today came from, then, you know, then maybe you're not really in tune and you're not really calling forth all of our history. You're not calling forth and diving into our culture, if you're in trying to bring out this human experience that we all share, if you're not diving into the most basic part of 
what our culture came from and what our culture truly shares. And so the last thing here that I want to talk about for a couple minutes is how can we take control of the arts? How can people who are not even conservative, not even libertarian, not, you know, I don't care about political ideology, people who are truly looking to find truth and beauty and to uh, do their best to express something that's outside of themselves, to be inspired and called to more, anyone who's doing that, how can they get back into the arts and take them back? And I think that you can't infiltrate uh, our current institutions. There's too many walls, too many gatekeepers, and it they, you can see that they're keeping truth seekers out. I mean, comedians who are just far left, you know, ideologically probably in line with, you know, every Hollywood person get cast out because of, you know, they're willing to ask the questions and to pose the ideas in, in a comedic form that maybe they don't agree with, maybe they do, I don't know, but that don't just walk a leftist line, don't just walk relativistic lines and really try to ask questions and find what might be true there, what might be real, you know, and try to understand reality and posit that there is a reality that we have to deal with. And just doing that a lot of times, like Louis C.K., obviously, he did some stuff that was really, really wrong and everything, but, you know, most people who have the evidence against him and did what he did probably would have, like, maybe a little bit of probation and then would, you know, maybe a couple of years on the sex offender list and then, you know, but meanwhile, you have people who are like Roman Polanski and all sorts of other people in Hollywood who do horrible things that get away with it forever because they're willing to go along with the narrative that Hollywood would like to posit. So there's kind of a two sides to that coin. And I think that instead of trying to infiltrate the institutions, it'd be much better to establish new ones. I mean, I think podcasts are a great way to get history and, you know, entertainment, you know, whether it's, you know, listening to podcasts like mine or there's plenty of podcasts that tell you great stories. I mean, murder mystery stories and all sorts of stuff like that, that go huge. That are, I mean, they're big, you know, I mean, comedians even, you know, Ron Burgundy has one, her, Will Ferrell has one as the Ron Burgundy podcast. And it's pretty hilarious. I'm not going to lie. I laugh out loud all the time. Like when I'm walking around the house, I'll listen to it or working on something <laughs> at home. I, I just crack up and my fiance is like, what the heck are you laughing at? And I'm like, uh, well, right. She's like, you're not listening to the Ron Burgundy podcast. Are you? She's like, like, yep. She thinks it's kind of stupid, but it is, but it's still funny. And so there's ways that you can express things through podcasts that, you know, you could through you you had to do through written word maybe you had to do in some other way uh, now you can have that oral tradition passed down through podcasts like this and I think that that's an incredible incredible advantage uh, you know subscription based web content there's Patreon and all those things sure but you know what's much better to me is the people who do podcasts and who do things like this that have you know. A website that you can go to, you can give them X amount of dollars per month or year, 
and they that supports them to be able to create the content basically it's it's like a uh oh what's the word oh uh sponsors like you you can have someone basically a bunch of micro sponsors sponsoring your work the same way that you know the medicis would sponsor big works of art and everything like that and so i think that that's a really cool business model as well as way to get art that's being done almost democratically and i think that that's a really good idea and so i hope that that continues those kinds of things are what we can continue and i think furthermore there's stuff beyond that that i'm not even talk talking about yet that we maybe haven't come up with yet that i can't even think of yet that would be great for us to continue to uh search for and new options and see if we can find new ways to distribute content and art and allow people to seek truth and to be called to something higher than what they are and so with that thank you for listening to another episode of the conversation of our generation if you enjoyed this please like and share on facebook go to conversationforgeneration.com to find out more and go to the podcast uh go to itunes and subscribe to the podcast giving you a five-star rating and a review really helps so if you can take time to do that that's awesome as well and share this with people you know sending text it to people who you think would like it send it out on facebook and twitter and so on and just let people hear this because i think that hopefully we can get more people involved in this conversation and really find ways to create the art that we that really calls us out of ourselves that enriches our lives and makes you know people come together and rally around something beautiful and true and that's what i hope we can do so thank you again for listening to this episode of the conversation of our generation let's get the dialogue going i'll talk to you next week